Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top 1000 Funds podcast collaboration with the PRI, Sustainability in a Time of Crisis. This new series is brought to you with support of Rubico, and I'm Amanda White, editor of top1000funds.com. The COVID-19 global health and economic crisis has highlighted the need for leadership and capital to be urgently targeted towards the vulnerabilities in the global economy. The issues of sustainability have never been more important, and it's an essential time for investors to be collaborating for better corporate behaviours and economic outcomes. I'm joined today by Peter Vanderwerf, who is an engagement specialist at Rubico. Thank you for being here, Peter. Thank you for having me, Amanda. So today we're going to take a close look at engagement and stewardship and the important role that investors play in engaging corporates for change. Peter, Rubico takes a very active approach to to ownership, voting about 5,000 shareholder meetings each year. Broadly speaking, can you tell us a bit about the focus of these engagements and importantly, how you narrow down onto the financially material sustainability themes? Yes, thank you, Amanda, for that question. Uh, Rubico has been engaging uh, for over 15 years now with uh, corporates in our uh, investment portfolios, and and hence we we have a um, approach that is really built on sort of the experience that we've we've learned over all of those years. What are sort of the strategies that work, and also how do we really narrow down on the right topics to um, to engage on? So um, we run a, a three-year engagement program for each topic that we select. And that really is built on an initial uh, six-month research program, which we conduct in-house with our um, sustainability analysts. So that's our team, but it's also um, SI Research, which is a Rubico SAM team based in Zurich. Um, and then the, the relevant investment specialist on the equity and on the, on the credit side. And uh, with all of those, uh, we hone in really on what what do we think is uh, is m- most material when 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 you look at that topic. Uh, but when you then sort of zoom out as sort of our our selection process, um, we have a um, yearly. Uh, consultation process with all of our investment teams internally. Uh, we have ideas that originate from our team or from SR Research. And then we have a client panel that we host. We find it very important to also take on board all of the views of our um, engagement overlay clients in selecting uh, the right topic. So that then um, delivers a list of four or five topics. Uh, so for this year, we had uh, life cycle management in the mining industry. Um, we had corporate governance in emerging markets. Uh, we had biodiversity, a topic that I have been working on in the last six months. And um, we will then also focus on net zero carbon, uh, so a climate-focused theme, and on remuneration, which is a, a theme that our um, uh, proxy voting analysts will also be heavily involved in. And that's where engagement and voting also really meet each other again, because they are analyzing a large number um, of those um, shareholder meetings each year on remuneration. And we will select a, uh, a group of companies to also really um, focus our engagement on with them. So this is sort of in, in a nutshell how we go through that process. So um, actually this month in September, we're going to start the same consultation process to set the agenda for 2021 um, in terms of engagement topics that we select. And um, having these conversations with our investment teams really also um, enables us to narrow down on financially material sustainability teams, as that is sort of their 
natural focus in terms of what exposure do we find in our investment portfolios that we manage. And that can be different between emerging markets, that can be different for growth or value strategies, that can be different when we look at, at quantitative strategies that, that again, have, have a different investment universe. So all of those um, sort of different views and opinions we bring together in that consultation process. Great. So interesting to, to hear that you're just about to start that process for 2021. And, and I guess I'm interested to hear a bit from your point of view about the rise, if you like, of social issues on the agenda of investors due to COVID-19 crisis and, and racial injustice in, in, in the US and other places. In the past, much of the sustainability efforts have been around environmental issues. What are you seeing now in terms of the engagement around labour rights and supply chain issues, for example? So, you know, maybe more along the S of the ESG. Yeah, um, our, our program has um, um, in, in the past also really focused on uh, social issues. So my uh, earlier engagement work has really been focused on, for instance, human rights and labor standards in the agricultural supply chain. Um, and also one of my programs that I've uh, finished last year was on um, improving sustainability in the meat and fish supply chain. And that is where um, labor standards was also one of the five objectives, uh, next to uh, a few other objectives that we focused on. And um, actually, uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, um, there was a very strong sort of refocus on these companies I had been engaging with for three years, given the fact that uh, the meat industry and the, the meat packers, so the, the processing plants, had really been um, part of the sort of, uh, yeah, really the, the, the largest clusters in the U.S. especially, but also to a certain extent in Europe, where, where, where the industry is a bit smaller, but also where you saw that, uh, that large numbers of uh, the employees, sometimes uh, more than half of them, would have been uh, infected by COVID-19, and really hundreds of people also passed, uh, passed away in uh, the US. So uh, from that perspective, uh, we really refocused with our collaboration with a group of, uh, of US investors, which is the, the ICCR, the Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility, where Rubico is also a member. And they have very long-standing uh, relationships with US companies and uh, have also been very active with the meat industry. And, uh, and, and with, with that group, we, uh, we really focused, again, on uh, getting these conversations, on uh, providing uh, better benefits for workers that were sick, for um, um, giving them Im immediate sick leave when they had sort of the first signs of potentially contracting COVID-19 and getting uh, sort of the, the first um, um, uh, disease um, elements already. So in, in, in that regard, uh, we have really been uh, been refocusing. Those conversations have not been easy. Um, some companies were open and willing to talk about what they have done. Others actually um, sort of closed down and really started to communicate more via CEO letters in uh, large newspapers in the US and actually opening up and having conversations with the various stakeholders. So you also see that differences in, in corporate culture in terms of uh, in terms of leadership and tone at the top also um, uh, yeah come through in uh, in periods like this. 
but from our perspective, uh, yeah, labor standards is is very important. And uh, for our um, agenda for 2021, we're now looking at, at human capital management over various sectors, um, really also in response to uh, yeah what COVID-19 has really shown as uh, as a renewed focus on uh, on how we should address human capital. Is it too early to tell with with some of those more recent engagements? whether you've been successful is it is it, uh, uh, you know they're kind of reasonably recent and most of the engagements go over a fairly long period of time can you kind of claim any victory at this point um i think what is important with engagement um is that um it's never a single voice from an investor that we are putting out where nobody else has has made sort of that that same um, statement or or that same demand to a company. So during COVID-19, obviously, there was a huge amount of attention on these specific companies, given the fact that they, in some cases, had thousands of employees um, um, uh, in, in and, and, and sort of a, a very large share of, of, of small communities in the US, and that these communities were really sort of the, the COVID-19 hotspots in those, uh, those periods in April and in May. And therefore, um, everybody was looking at them from all, all all directions. But what I think is very important is that um, we are often a voice that um, is very aligned with obviously shareholder um, value creation and therefore also sort of uh, our focus also on profitability of the company, which is different from, let's say, the NGOs, the government agencies and others that are sending that signal. So having these questions come from investors typically gives um, the company also more comfort in making those uh, those changes when it comes to covid-19 um, i think it's it it has been very important to um, show these companies that um, an open relationship to to stakeholders and and to shareholders uh, as one of those is very important and i think that, that is also helping us to make better investment decisions if we can assess which companies are able to deal with a crisis like this um, in an open and transparent way and which companies are actually closing the doors and uh, and are, are, are trying to hide certain things that uh, that could be also potential financial risks so from a um, success perspective I, I would say that uh, that broadly speaking those uh, those companies have now understood that they really have to make changes but at the same time to claim that success based on the conversations we had I think is also difficult given that so many other actors have uh, have voiced their concerns as well so you mentioned um, at the outset, Peter, uh, biodiversity and you know some of the other issues that you've been engaging on around environmental issues have been palm oil, single-use plastics and reducing global waste. Can you talk us through some of these issues and, and, and the engagement around those environmental factors? Yes, um, <clears throat> those are um, very important topics that we have uh, launched in the last uh, three years and which I've been uh, been involved in myself as well. Um, and I think all of them um, are very clearly aligned also to um, contributing uh, to creating value on the, on the sustainable development goals. And I think that is an important framework that we 
um, as an investment firm, um, have applied both in our engagement work, but also in um, several of the uh, specific funds that we are developing um, along those lines, given that we think that the sustainable development goals are a very important framework um, for society to, to achieve those goals in by 2030. Um, and um, yeah, for, for single-use plastics, for instance, it's, it, it's very clearly aligned with Sustainable Development Goal 12. Um, and we are focusing on changes throughout the plastics value chain. So from the plastic packaging companies and, and, and the chemical companies that are producing the original feedstock to uh, plastic packagers, uh, converters, to uh, food producers, and ultimately retailers. And all of them have a different role to play, but they're all interconnected as they're sort of uh, clients of each other and ultimately are driving the demand. And also, to some extent, the ability to recycle that plastic, which uh, is, is clearly the, the key issue with, uh, with just a, 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 uh, with a single digit percentage of, uh, of global plastics being recycled, we're very far from a circular economy. And I think that is also where um, a lot of our environmental work is um, is focused on, is, is how can these companies be part of a uh, circular economy in the future? And um, a lot of the challenges that are, that are currently there is that there is still a lot of sort of linear economy thinking and dynamics in these supply chains where these companies have to sort of answer to these uh, dynamics. Um, and it's very important that investors ask the right, right questions to, to change that behavior and, uh, and really get these companies to commit to a more um, circular business model. Well, you're living in the right place to um, to adapt to that type of thinking in Amsterdam, taking on the the donut uh, economics model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested in going to a bit more detail about some of your engagements. You mentioned that you typically engage with a company for three years, and in some cases, it's a lot more than that. Can you can you run us through some examples of your engagement? What the process of change is. What's the most effective way that you've experienced to engage with corporates and kind of what that to and fro between investor corporate looks like and, and sort of just give us a bit of a flavor for that interaction? Yeah, so for a lot of the dialogues, um, we we start with that, with that research uh, program. And I think that is also, in my um, opinion, really the uh, key differentiator between uh, sort of more, uh, I would say, almost compliance engagement, sort of tick-the-box engagement that that we've seen in in some instances within the industry, and the real sort of um, engagement that is focused on affecting change at the company. Because if you don't understand the company in and out, and you don't have the ability to really look as an investor to the business model, what are the, the strengths, what are the weaknesses, what, where do we think it should really change? It's very difficult to have a proper conversation. With the company, and um, so it, it it it'll start with us writing to investor uh, relations, providing um, some initial views on uh, what type of conversations we would like to have with the company, and inviting them to to set up a, a first call. And um, based on that, we typically quickly see that that our technical experts, and we have experts that have a specific sector focus uh, or a specific. 
um, issue focus within our team um, to really relate with, uh, with with the technical experts on the company side. So, um, for instance, I have been doing most of my work with consumer staples and healthcare companies and companies on the agrochemical side, so anything food and health related. And um, with those companies, I would be talking to a um, head of sustainability or I would be talking to a head of um, uh, water management if that is a, a relevant input. Or in some cases, um, companies now, food producers have a head of um, plastics that is uh, on the one hand uh, responsible for uh, buying all of their, their plastic packaging products, but at the same time also for their recycling strategy and how can the company contribute to those areas. So it's basically um, the, the set of, issues that I have identified that I put forward to the company and they then look for the right technical expert to have that conversation on. And in many cases, my experience is that the better technical questions and the, and the more detailed we are able to challenge a company, the more they also find that they get value out of these conversations themselves because it's this, this external uh, perspective which helps them to find also sort of where their strategic direction should go and those are conversations they're having with their peers they're having with industry bodies they're, they're having that with uh, maybe um, uh, academic professionals but I think um, the right challenge challenging questions from investors are very important for them as well and that is also typically where we find that our success lies is it's it's not that after a, a first call i get a sort of a list of commitments that the company is going to make but usually after the the type of questions that, I, that i've asked and that my colleagues asked if we then a year later review their sustainability report and actually see that uh, three or four of these points that we have made have been incorporated and that they have made additional uh, targets or they have made commitments or things that we had been asking for that's where we find that we have made success. Um, and it's it's also very important to, to have that feedback loop to our investment colleagues. So they are the ones that are incorporating um, our views into their, their, their valuation analysis, into their portfolio management decisions. And if they are speaking to the company, uh, more and more, and that's, that's uh, I think, a real growth of ESG integration in our company, we have seen that instead of having separate sustainability and separate financial conversations, these two are blending into each other. And our financial experts, our, our analysts and portfolio managers are asking these type of questions. And we are also asking more financially focused questions uh, when it comes to sustainability topics. And as these two are merging, you see that you have different um, touch points with one company. So management is coming by here for, let's say, a roadshow and, and, and a financial update, obviously virtually now, but in the past they would come to, to Rotterdam to our office. Uh, then we would have these conversations. And at the same time, we are talking to the, to the sustainability experts. And uh, another element that I think sets our approach apart is that we um, are not speaking to only one expert, but we're actually looking for multiple touch points with a company. So I might be talking to somebody on labor standards, an expert at a company, and on human rights, but to a environmental expert or a biodiversity expert in another instance. And having that very broad set of touch points ultimately helps us to 
to uh, to have a larger impact on the company, given that our our views and opinions are landing on different desks and ultimately are part of the considerations of their strategic thinking on how to move ahead with their their sort of uh, separate accountability which they have for for the firm's performance. So from that perspective, we are really looking at um, at different ways of. Um, uh, of, of influencing the company and um, the basis is really solid research and sharp questions that are really helping uh, the company making better strategic decisions. It makes sense and, you, and you've got a, a kind of commonality across you know all the touch points in your business that are interacting with the corporate but you know you're the engagement specialist's job in many ways is as you say to ask difficult questions so is it good to have a kind of close, good relationship with your contacts in the corporates or do you kind of keep your distance because you're asking those close questions? I mean, you'd think that you would need to have a rapport or a common understanding with those people so that you can, uh, you know, kind of have that relationship. But I'm interested to know whether, you know, what type of relationship it is with those people. Yeah, it's important to build that relationship and it's also important um, to... Um, get um, some kind of um, level of, of credit on, on both sides that we feel that the, the, the company representatives are really sort of seeing the value of the conversation that we're having and are taking on board the suggestions that we're making um, and vice versa, that also the company feels that this investor is here for the long term and they are really interested in having these conversations to, to make the company perform better. And um, as soon as that that um, understanding is not there, you might end up with more, I would say, uh, polite conversations about information that we as an investor might have been able to find in their sustainability report or uh, that the investor gets or that the company gets questions which they have gotten already many times before and which are not really helping them to make better uh, better decisions on, on where to move with their sustainability strategy. So I think those those go hand in hand. Um, where it's more difficult is if you have a lot of changes in personnel um, at the corporate. So I've, I've had conversations where in the three and sometimes four or five years that I'm connected with the company, I had multiple contacts at investor relations as, uh, as, as, as those departments sometimes move quicker through, uh, through their personnel. In other cases, I've had um, companies where the same people had that post for the last 10 or 15 years, and they have connected with numerous people at Rubico and have really built up a, a personal relationship by visiting our offices many times and by really knowing all of the different people. And I think in those cases, um, it is easier to uh, to uh, building on that relationship also uh, get into a role where in some cases the company actively approaches us to get our feedback before they are launching a new sustainability strategy or where they uh, make the point that they would really appreciate us um, contributing to a materiality assessment which they are conducting because they think that the voice of sustainability focused investors is really important in that process so i think that is where that build the building that better relationship really helps so peter you're an advise an advisory committee member of a number of the pri working groups including uh, agricultural supply chain and sustainable palm oil and deforestation um, and you've had you had 
sort of personally more than four years working in frontier markets before you joined Rubico. How important is that background and that experience for you now to be able to have had that broader perspective to bring to this role? Can you just talk about a little bit about your own personal experience and, you know, what kind of makes a good engagement specialist? My experience really helps um, in, in, in those previous roles, which I had in understanding the, the reality of, uh, of, of the agricultural production supply chain in, in, in these various roles that I, that I had prior in, um, in, in working either on, the, on a plantation or, or in, uh, in, in sustainable aquaculture. And in, in, in my current role, I am looking at sort of these, these global supply chains and how they operate. Uh, what are the challenges there, and also how to uh, how, how how to improve that? So I think that the technical knowledge that I had from my my prior role really helps me to uh, to ask the right questions to the um, the heads of sustainability in the various food producing companies or at retailers, etc. In in how they are shaping their their sustainability criteria and and, and strategy. And um, when when looking at these PRI um, working groups. Um, as an advisory committee member, uh, we're responsible for really sort of um, supporting the PRI secretariat with setting the strategy for these uh, groups, focusing uh, the initial um, list of companies that we are going to uh, focus on in terms of exposure, in terms of where can affect change, what are really the companies where we should be focusing on. With the Palmo working group, I've spent a lot of time also in getting external research from, for instance, the Zoological Society of London, the ZSL, they have a um, transparency um, benchmark which they developed, which is called ZSL Spot. And um, this benchmark is very important for um, uh, for assessing the performance of uh, from a sustainability perspective uh, from, from the Palmo company. So I've been able to uh, to, to connect uh, their research um, activities to the, um, the, the activities of the, of the Sustainable Palmo Working Group. So in all of these, um, it's bringing in technical expertise and knowledge um, uh, that I have from the um, food and agricultural supply chain into these uh, these working groups to ultimately get more impact. And I think that's also why Rubico is very actively participating in many of the, the PRI engagement collabor- collaboration working groups is that we see that when conducted properly, so with a, a few co-leads on, on one engagement case that are really sort of setting the agenda and leading the group, and then with more supporting investors behind them, we have more leverage and more impact that we can create towards the companies and also a more efficient engagement process for the company, given that they speak to this whole group with just one meeting. Um, um, this is really a way where um, we think that we can uh, can have a good impact uh, with, with, with our program. And I, I think overall, um, approximately two-thirds of our engagement is private and around one-third to, so let's say, 40% of them uh, runs through these uh, collaborative engagement groups. But ultimately, where uh, we can um, can be in the lead, Rubico is uh, is also signing up to then uh, to then be part of these groups and also really sort of um, setting the strategy and, uh, and and the course of direction of these groups so that we can uh, can have the best impact. So you mentioned that Rubico's um, uh, this uh, engagement is a sort of active part of your investment process for fifteen plus years. Where mm-hmm. do you, where do you think 
active ownership or universal ownership is headed? Do you envisage that engagement will be a core part of investing rather than an add-on for some investors? And and if that is the vision, then what needs to change now for that to happen? And I guess in all of that, if engagement basically is investing, what does passive management look like in the future? Yeah, for Rubico, um, engagement is really part of, of our view on uh, on where we see active ownership um, grow towards in, in the future. So from that perspective, um, over the past years, we have intensified, um, especially for our um, sustainability-focused investment products, the amount of engagement that we are undertaking. So where for some portfolios, you might have just a handful of companies under engagement for the more sustainably focused funds. We are really moving that up. So some of them we are already moving towards 50% of the companies in portfolio also being under engagement. And we're now um, also designing a um, new group of um, um, of portfolios, and, and we're in, in conversations with with some clients on the um, uh, prospect of having engagement um, portfolios, which basically basically means that all companies in the uh, portfolio selected by the portfolio manager are also under engagement, and that um, the sustainability um, sort of um, returns which you can uh, generate from uh, from achieving the engagement milestones that we set are an intrinsic part of the the value proposition that we have for our clients. So from that perspective, uh, we really see that as sort of the the future of um, active um, investing and and thereby also continuing to. Um, set apart active investment from passive investing. Um, for passive investments, it's very um, challenging to um, uh, engage with such a large number of companies. Um, but at the same time, also for our enhanced index uh, products, we see that engagement is really an important element why um, some of, uh, of, of our clients actually select our um, um, enhanced indexing, so very close to, to the benchmark uh, type products compared to what other passive managers uh, can deliver because they don't give um, any engagement um, as, as part of, of, of that product while we continue to um, also engage on behalf of the broader quant universe that we invest in. So for Rubico, um, actually active ownership is uh, is part of both our semi-passive and our more active uh, propositions that we prepare for our clients. That's clear. Peter, thank you so much for running through this with us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and, and, and listening to you. Thank you very, very much and, and please stay safe. Thank you so much for uh, having us today, Amanda. It was a great pleasure to speak with you today. Great. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye.